Welcome to the View in Your Mirror podcast. We are your hosts, Lisa Rubin and Katie Harms. From new moves to tried and true strategies, we'll dissect the ways in which clothing and a little organization can and does affect your daily life. Come along as we hope to inspire, engage, and shape your rituals as well as your shapewear. Lisa Rubin. Katie Harms. We are back. It's been a while since we've recorded a podcast and... I just feel like so much has gone on. You took a trip and did. did some investigative reporting. <laughs> <laughs> I took my first trip to Chicago. I do a lot of shopping for clients in Chicago. And I have a few resources there that are very good for me to see find things for my clients. And I haven't been there since before COVID. I actually was in Chicago when COVID hit. And I flew home early, and that was the last time I really did in-person shopping for clients. So when you go in, here's the beauty, I think, of what you do, is you have, you're armed with what they already own. I am armed with what they already own, yes. So you're, in most cases, looking for pieces to update, looking for pieces to work with what they've already got. Typically... Um, what I do is I have done most of the, the clients that I'm looking for when I went to Chicago, I've already done a closet analysis of their entire wardrobe. So I have my little notes that I take on a piece of paper of what I am looking for to fill each one of my clients' gaps in their wardrobe. And so I will then go to Chicago and I'll go to all the stores that I typically shop at and I will see what I can find for them. So I think the obvious question, since we live in Minneapolis, is why Chicago? Well, currently, I hate to say this, but in Minneapolis and St. Paul, there isn't a place right now that I can go and have the success I have in looking for gaps in all of my clients' wardrobes. The stores just don't have the merchandise for me right now. And I think you're probably talking to efficiencies, right? You can do the most with the least amount of time. Exactly. And I typically do not have clients with me when I go to Chicago. There will be some clients. I do have several clients in Chicago that I help that will meet me. And a few of my clients from Minneapolis might fly in. But I actually prefer to do it without them. I think I do better work when I'm by myself. And I take each client as if they're with me. And I go through the stores and I pull the merchandise and these salespeople are quite happy because they get all the sales. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. Well, and I think there are some really lovely places to shop in Minneapolis. So we don't want anyone to get that opinion. It really is about the efficiencies. And also when you have a client list that looks like yours, you need to go where there is more merchandise so that going back to what you really have instilled is you're not cookie cutter. I'm not cookie cutter. And that's exactly right, Katie. So being in Minneapolis, there are some places I do shop at, but I don't want to pull all my merchandise from the store for every single client because I am not cookie cutter. Right. And there is a particular department store in Chicago that we don't have here. And they have 18 lease departments in that store. Explain what that means. So, And I think you can call out the store. The store is Bloomingdale's in Chicago. I do quite a lot of business out of there. And they have lease departments. So these designers and vendors lease space in the store and they have all their merchandise within the store. So even if you go online and you look at some of these vendors, you might not even see their entire collection. But if you go to Bloomingdale's in Chicago, and I know they have it also in New York too. I've also been to the New York store for these vendors. I get to see their whole collection. And the people that are working in these departments work for the company, not for Bloomingdale's. Sure. And I think, you know, we were talking offline a little bit about the changes that are happening to retail. And we're certainly seeing it with online shopping. And we talked about that with Jane Haugen Olson also, how she really tries hard to shop locally and in some of the stores. And I think, and to me, realistically, Chicago is also shopping locally. You're putting something into a bricks and mortar store, right? I think that's the purpose. And that's that's more of the conversation is bricks and mortar versus online. At the same time, realistically, the world is changing and how we're buying things is changing. So being aware of that is also interesting. But 
to your point, sometimes seeing it, seeing the construction, feeling the material, knowing what they have in their wardrobes already and how that's going to look, I think what you do is just so fabulous. <laughs> well, you know, let me back up a little bit. This is the first time I went to Chicago since COVID hit. And up until this point, I was helping my clients and we were doing everything virtually. So the stores that thought out of the box and were able to do virtual with me and could send what I call goodie boxes to people's homes so that they, it's like a, it was like a traveling dressing room is what I call it, right? There are a few stores that did do that with me and it was successful, right? But it was really nice to go back, touch and feel it, talk to the people that work for all of these companies, ask them about deliveries and what they're going to see for fall. Because one of the biggest problems that we're all going to have with all the different supply chains is it's very difficult to get the stuff here to America. Yeah. I mean, the prices for shipping are out of sight. That has to make it harder for you in the fact that you're really looking for different lines. I think people have pared down their lines, haven't they? Are you seeing people, that? Companies have definitely pared down their lines. So if a collection had 150 pieces for fall, you're probably seeing 75 to 80 pieces. The other big thing I saw was stores were maybe buying, generally they'll buy like a two, a four, a six, two eights, two tens, two twelves, that kind of thing. Now, no. They're just buying one in every size. When it's gone, it's gone. So it's very difficult for me. Let's say I have three clients who want a size eight. Okay, well, which client would really benefit from this one first if I can't get a second or a third? And even though there's, let's use Bloomingdale's as an example. They have other Bloomingdale's. That doesn't mean that they're necessarily going to have that particular piece for some of these smaller collections that I use in all the Bloomingdale's. So the long and short of it is, this was probably the most challenging trip I have taken to Chicago since I started doing this. And I did have success with everybody. Everyone's gotten their things. People were happy with what they got. But People they... TikToked opening boxes. Yes, yes, I did have a <laughs> client TikTok opening a box. That was really fun. Yeah, it was great. I think what people have to understand for fall and winter is to be very patient and don't go out and say, oh my God, I need something new, and just go find something. Because I think you just need to wait and see what will be the best for your wardrobe. There are going to be some good things coming in. Shoes in particular are going to take way more time for the new collections. Everybody be patient. Yeah, that makes sense. And honestly, I think... <laughs> as our dear friend Roshini said, as she sunsetted her, her show on CCO, and she sent a note to us saying the first thing she's going to do is clean out her closet, which <laughs> was fabulous. Clean out your closets. You never know what you're going to find lurking in the corners that you haven't uh, gotten to or seen for quite a while and start looking at things a little differently. And then you can have that patience and wait to add the things in that you really want to add in. But just a little tip about cleaning your closet, Katie, is if you're going to clean your closet on your own, everybody needs to be in the right mindset to do that. Because if you're not in the right mindset, it's not going to be beneficial for you. And the other thing is, please try your clothes on. And if you're within five to eight pounds, everyone's gained weight during COVID. Either you've gained weight or you've lost weight. No one stayed the same. Very few people. I haven't. You know, it's interesting. I found some notes that I had from many years ago when I used to do a lot of speaking to groups about what you keep, what you get rid of, how you do it. And for many, many years, and you'll still hear it if you haven't worn it for a year, get rid of it. And I really don't believe in that because I've saved things that they'll come back around and I'll fit back into them or whatnot. So I really believe that if it's within that five to eight pounds, find a different place to put it, get it out of your closet, find an under bed box. So everything that is in your closet should be things that you wear, fit you well, don't have the stains, don't have the you know, snags, don't have the snags. Even if you buttons. love it, if it has a missing button, get it, bring it to a tailor. If it can be fixed, get it in your pile to get it to a tailor. Otherwise, get rid of it. But if you love it, and you think you're going to be back into it, put it in under bed box, put it somewhere where it can take up a little bit of space and eventually, and then put a reminder in your calendar to go look at that in a year. Then maybe you'll have a different opinion. 
But I think managing your closet is no different than managing other parts of your life. It's just something that needs to happen. And the the neater and more organized you can be with it. Look, we all know Marie Kondo can fold little teeny tiny t-shirts and the home edit can sell you all sorts of products. But being a functionally organized person means that it takes time on an ongoing basis. So every once in a while, because you're grabbing t-shirts out of your drawer, no matter how great they're folded, you still want to go back and edit them out, throw the stuff away that doesn't work and then fold them back up again. So like you say, you got to be in the right mindset and you got to take it in chunks of time. Right. And the other thing that people don't realize lies is try all of your bottoms on if they do not fit you right now but you love them put them away exactly if they don't have stains and snags put them away but if you walk into your closet and you see 15 bottoms hanging in front of you and the first thing you think of is i can't wear any of those they don't fit me it's just it's It's deflating (laughs) it takes the energy completely out of you immediately to start the day so so if you have a closet that you can manage that, it is going to be much better for you. I agree. I agree. Well, I'll tell you what, you've had to pivot. Everyone's had to pivot. We have Stephanie March joining us and think of the big pivots that have had to happen in the restaurant industry. She'll, she'll touch on some of that, but what an incredibly positive, fun person. And I'm so excited. She said yes to joining us. We had to wait till we got into fall when a lot of things going on for her and the state fair will touch on all of that. I think she's moved a kid into college. I think she's moved homes. Lots going on in Stephanie's life. And yet this effervescent, positive, we can conquer the world kind of attitude. So I'm super excited to have Stephanie join us. And I think you will enjoy it too. I'm so excited, Stephanie March, to have you on the podcast with us. It's Thank exciting. you for being here. Thanks for inviting me. Well, now, I feel like you have done podcasts. You're still doing the Saturday mm-hmm. show. Mm-hmm. And then it goes to podcasts, they, you know, so that you can listen to. We, we broadcast live, but you can listen to it on podcast anytime. So you're doing a Saturday show live. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That's the magic. Or not. <laughs> I <laughs> Because think you makes... say things, then you're like, oh, I wish I could take that. Yeah. You can't I, edit. I think live is great. I think for us, I mean, you're doing live on a radio station, which makes total sense. I love the edit capability. It's that nice. We have, that we have to do it. But so let's get into it because I just feel like you are so multifaceted that I don't even know where to start. I but know. let's start recent and go backwards. You just finished up the fair. Well, actually, before we even start that. Yeah. If somebody meets you for the very first time, who do you tell them you are? Oh, I just sort of say I'm, well, I, my main gig is, you know, clearly the food editor at Minneapolis St. Paul Magazine. And so that's, I sort of lead with that because it's sort of, people know Minneapolis St. Paul Magazine. It's been around for a long time. And so you start there, but then you said, and I also have a radio show on my talk 107 and I also, you know, do like TV appearances on Fox nine. So there's a lot, or, and Twin Cities Live on channel five. So there's a lot of things. There's yeah. a lot of things. There are. And you yeah. love every one of them. Yeah. And you just bring such a, what's the word? Effervescent. <laughs> Effervescence to everything. I mean, it's just like you cannot, I'm sitting here smiling because you cannot talk to you without smiling, I feel. Well, like. I'm ho- well that's a good thing, I think. And right? I just met you five minutes ago and yeah. I already am in a better mood, Katie. I, I know, great. right? This I started huge. out in not such a good mood today, which is not my norm. And well, when, I don't know. <laughs> oh. And I'm like, Katie, I'm not in a good mood today. She goes, I'm not either. I'm like, this is not <laughs> Uh-oh. good. But you walked in and, and it's in. like all I of know. a sudden I am, I'm smiling. Yeah. I don't exactly. do that very often either. I don't. <laughs> well, that's good. Infectious in the right way. Infectious in these days is good things. I think so too. I think so too. Speaking of infectious in the right way, how'd the fair go? <laughs> yeah, no kidding. It was interesting. This year was, um, it was a little interesting. It was, it was it was sort of, and I didn't go as often as I normally do. So I, we kind of pulled back on that. And, but so did every, it was down 30 or 40% in the end in attendance. So I guess they marked it at 1.3 million where normally, and that's still a pretty big number to put up for 12 days, but normally they're over two, you know, two, the 2019 numbers were over two. So I think that that was uh, the difference in the way it felt on the fairgrounds. You guys didn't go, as no, I'm assuming, right? Year, no. Yeah. And it was just, it was, a noticeable difference on those days where it was like food vendors were standing there like outside of their booths kind of like there's no line I've never seen there not be a line at Sweet Martha's Cookies and I walked up a number of times just to get a little cone 
and it just like no waiting nothing i mean so. really can it be just a little cone let's just i know with sweet Martha's <laughs> yeah but if you go multiple said. times you only get like if you're going once you get the big bucket right but yeah. if you go a couple times just get the cone <laughs> yeah and you're still getting plenty yes. you know there are a few things that i really miss because this is year two for me that i couldn't go to the state fair and our family well, I, my husband does not like the state fair. He had to go with me until I could take my kids without him. Without him, right. Um, but I really miss some of the things. Of course, you can get Sweet Martha's in the grocery of store now. Can. right. But you can't get the French fries in the grocery store hot no. with the ketchup where the bees are all around it. Yeah, yeah. And, and the, then like the malt vinegar that you just like throw on top And of then everything. the fried pickles with the ranch dressing. I know. What about something? the dairy building malt? Yes. I'm going the, old school. Yeah. Dairy building malt. Yes, I agree. I do love that one. I go to the cattle barn, which is actually oh. down by where they milk the cows for the malts there. Oh. Good. The shakes. Okay. The, when, was, when was your first experience with the fair? Oh, yeah. I mean, I I must have gone with my parents. I don't remember it. I think it's sort of like it's sort of been obliterated by all the years, you know. But I do believe that like I my fondest memories as kids was running around at nighttime. You know what I mean? Like as a teenager and just running around night fair and like you know, sort of like someone's mom would drop us off and then someone else would pick us up and we would just cruise for boys and, you know, before the days of cell phones and everything else, this was in the 80s, hello. And <laughs> it was like, you just would just, it was just roving packs of teens and it was just fun. Do I you think that. there still are roving packs of teens? Did you see any? Oh, Were you there, out there are. At night? Yes. Okay. Yeah, when you go at night and a couple years ago, I went at night with my teens, you know, I brought the, the boys and such and sort of hang back as I watch and it's kind of fun. I think night fair is fun and I, I kind of, I missed that this year more than anything just because it's a different vibe and yeah. it's, and the food is still, you're still getting all the good food, but the lights are brighter and it's just more, it's kind of just more festive in a yeah. way. Yeah. Talk to me about your kids. You just sent, is yes. it the youngest the to one. college? Yeah, the last one is off at University of Puget Sound in Tacoma. And so he's the first one to go west, you know, he's the fourth. And the first one went to Kansas, to KU. The second one ended up at NYU. Uh, the third went to Lawrence in Appleton, Wisconsin, after my own alma mater. And this last one is off in the PNW, man. He's out in, you know, the beautiful evergreen country. Did you take him there? Yeah, we flew out. We didn't drive. Everyone's like, oh, did you drive? No, we're not going to be in a car that together for that long. <laughs> He's a giant human, too. So he, like, hates car rides because he your, doesn't fit in cars. And your nickname for him is? Giant Baby. Which I just... Yeah. Because <laughs> he's my baby, but he's a giant... He's a giant baby. He's six foot three and like 300 pounds. <laughs> he's, he's, he's actually six foot four. We measured him right before we left. So he's... Yeah. He's a big kid. Does he fit in the dorm His bed? beard. Yes. He, that was the biggest question. I took a photo and I posted <laughs> it of the dorm and everyone's like, does he fit in the bed? Like the number one question from hundreds of people. I'm like, he does. It's extra long. It's fine. He's going to be fine. Oh my gosh. He's adaptable. That's so fun. And on the other end of things we just found out you're a grandma yes yeah, so my oldest my daughter who is uh she's 30 something she might be 31 um who knows <laughs> oh, same age as our daughter yes yeah. exactly so she just had a baby she had little lila on july 23rd so she's oh you're she's fresh so this is Welcome the first grandchild the club. i just had my first grandchild yes. in may and isn't it just crazy yeah it is a little insane and it's weird to have like i was kind of like that baby came and I was trying to pack up the last baby to go and leave, you know, and I was like, it's just, I can't really, I, and the good news is that baby isn't doing much yet. You know what I mean? She's just doing this where she just like moves her arms and looks around. So I'm like, okay, we have time to like kind of bond a little later after I get this other baby gone. So you do. Yeah. And plenty of years to get her yeah. to take her to the fair. Oh, I know. And that's the thing is she'll be, <laughs> she, yeah, we just have, yeah, she's just, kind of just starting to pop open the eyeballs and really like hang out you know and so it's so fun. when you read her stories are you gonna read her recipe books yeah no <laughs> no I don't think so <laughs> she's there's many more things more interesting than that but yeah well there are but boy have you made a career yeah out of knowing the food biz yeah it's been in this last couple of years have been has been really interesting just watching the evolution of what happens in this space when restaurants go away and people start cooking at home more and you know and the ebb and flow of people really appreciating the hospitality industry again because they realize like what it's like to not have it and 
at the same time, you know, trying to figure out like, how does it fit into your daily lives? And then all of us watching that and talking about it and sort of, you know, having it be out there and really the Twin Cities food scene has, has, um, I think it's so supportive of each other. And that's really what got us through without closing many more restaurants than we could have. And don't you think that a lot of the restaurants, or at least from my experience, that they have done an exceptional job with pickup. Oh, yeah. Pickup. Mm-hmm. I mean, some restaurants that we used to do takeout, if we just weren't in the mood before COVID, like we were in a hurry or whatever, we'd pick it up and we'd get home and go, oh, God, I mean, yeah. you know, I'd rather be eating it there. But now yeah. you pick up from a restaurant and it's like, oh, my God. Like they have you can almost sit down and eat it. Yeah. And there's places, I think the whole meal kit evolution was really interesting. And for a lot of people, having it be where, you know, you kind of do parts of it yourself like they give you the ingredients and the instructions and maybe you finish it mm-hmm. or you know and so that it's almost like a really good hot meal for you instead of just that's big my biggest thing with takeout was just soggy french fries exactly you know what i mean there's only certain things <laughs> well that's one of the things yeah soggy french fries that's although tough. the air fryer i know that's true the evolution if you do have an air fryer that is the easiest you way mean you can take the soggy french fries from the restaurant put it in the air fryer yes yeah. It's mind blowing. Yeah, actually, it's, it's just so for perfect. like two minutes. Yeah, it's not. Yeah, not very long. Yeah, not at all. It's mm-hmm. good. The air fryer is mm-hmm. life changing. It is. <laughs> I know. I think I have to buy one. My I'm daughter got over one. Your I know. Shoulder at I know. My air fryer. Right under the ninja. You got to have yeah. the ninja. Yeah. Is it's that two, the one? Well, that's a got, good one. It's got two sides. She's got a double it, barrel right? ninja. I got a double barrel ninja. Of course I do. But you can have the ones that go like on top of the instant pot. You know, the lids that kind of convert your instant pot too. So that's nice. Well, my, my daughter and son-in-law just got one, and we made wings in it. We took, like, the sauce that I usually do, and we put it on there, and we made wings. They were delicious. Yeah. And yeah. it took 25 minutes. That's oh, good. it. Yeah. Good. Yeah, we're loving the air fryer, I have to say. You yeah. Know, you're trying trying some of these things to maybe eat a little healthier, and then again, you know. And then I you think, get the air fryer. And then again, maybe not. Right, right. You're, you know, I and, and truly, I think to me, food is... A passion. Mm-hmm. I love food. Mm-hmm. We love cooking, but we also love going out. We love trying new things. What's interesting to me, we were up, um, we were up in the Brainerd Lakes area. Our cabin is not too far from there, and we went to dinner at a place that we've gone and we've loved for years. And they're still opening, open, and they're they're doing a very good job. But their menu is so pared down. Yeah. And we were talking to the the waitress, and we also waited a long long time for our food, like much longer than you normally would. And she said, all of this is because help. Yeah. You can't, you can't find help. Yeah. The labor shortage has really affected the industry more than, um, well, and it's affected all the industries, but the hospitality industry, I think saw a bigger departure, um, you know, because of the fact that it did shut down. Like there was, you know, there was like the people who had just didn't have jobs. And so then they were home and they were getting the unemployment. And I think, personally, that a lot of people just decided, well, I need to find another opportunity. I think that they, you know, there's a lot of, there's sort of this, you know, there's sort of this zeitgeist feeling that that people were too lazy to work or that they didn't want to go back to work and nobody wants to work anymore. It was sort of this, you know, mantra that unfortunately was, you know, kind of cast out there. And I don't actually think that's true. I think the truth is, is that in hospitality, a lot of people are doing hospitality because they're on their way to something else. Mm -hmm. And so maybe they're, you know, they're doing it right now so they can make ends meet while they're going to planning to figure out like what school to go to. Should I go to law school or should I do something of furthering education or should I get my degree finally? Or should I, you know, launch that business that's going to take, you know, the time to do it, but I don't have the time because I need to earn the money. So I think a lot of people took the time off and the, the financial support from unemployment and created new lives for themselves. And so that's the hard part is like unemployment has ended, you know, the extra benefits. And I think a lot of restaurants and people were like, oh, great, we'll have all this, you know, this influx of people, but I think they're gone. I think that they left the industry. They transitioned out. You know, it reminds me a lot of, I think you're absolutely right. And it reminds me a lot of back in the 2007, 2008, when the housing crash happened and all the tradespeople left. Yeah. Because they had to. Yeah. And they haven't come. And now we are in this building boom. And, yeah. And tradespeople are very difficult to come by. Yeah. I and mean, it really is, if you're thinking about going into the trades or if your kids are not really college 
Oh, listen, yeah. Really, I would strongly consider the trades. We have a couple friends who last year when they were, you know, when colleges were not being in person because of the COVID, they were saying, you know what, maybe it's not about going to, maybe you shouldn't be going to, if you're just going to be sitting at our house in our basement, you know, uh, and we're going to not pay for that college experience. I had a couple friends whose kids ended up going to Dunwoody mm-hmm. and they started to go, they were learning like I, you know, tech trades and it was like stuff that was a little bit more active in terms of like it was needed. It was essential. So they were out and they were like out earning actual salaries instead of just, you know, and very decent salaries, quite, quite very good. decent. But salary. then I have the question where I think, what you said makes complete sense. But how about there is always the younger generation yes. that's coming up. They still need to make a living. They still need to work yeah. somewhere. Yeah. So, you know, what are are those kids doing? Are those kids saying, I don't want to work that hard? Or, I mean, you know, there's are there still... Are there as many of them? Um, you know, the Gen Z is like, what they're saying with Gen Z is that they're a little bit more tuned into... Um, it's not that they... Actually, they're more likely to be harder workers than the millennials um, in that they grew up, they were younger during the uh, recession in the, in 2008 that impacted them. And they're more likely to be harder workers because they remember that more in their youth. Um, There's a couple great Gen Z books out there, but, and I was reading them about all of it, but it's really more about now that they're shaped by social issues that has over the last couple of years, you have to prove a little bit better to them that you're worth working for. And that's a difference. So the difference isn't, they'll come work for you, but you have to prove that you're worth their time. And there has to be a purpose to what you're doing, I think, which is why you're seeing many, many companies and really tied to nonprofits. And you're seeing a lot of nonprofits growing yeah. with that Gen Z yeah. group as well. Yeah, they there's a there's a very big social justice bend to them and then there's but there's also um they want it to mean something. They don't want it to just be a paycheck. So we'll see how that works for the industry. And then they're probably also a lot of them still living at home, so they can have that. Yes. <laughs> right, right. They can have that uh that thought process. Well, let's uh, I'm, let's chew on that a moment while we take a break. See what I did there? And we're going to go talk <laughs> about our favorite Rustica Bakery. We'll be right back. On the View in Your Mirror podcast, we love sharing our personal favorites. Rustica Bakery is high on that list, and we know you're going to agree. Rustica has two locations. They're original at 3224 West Lake Street in Minneapolis, across from Calhoun Commons and Whole Food Market. And Southdale Center next to Lifetime, where you'll enter without even going into the mall. Both have ample parking, either online or in-store. Bread, breakfast, dessert, treats, a menu sure to allow you to find a personal favorite in no time. Online ordering is a breeze and curbside pickup is an option. Available in-store only are savory menu items. Think grab and go for lunch or enjoy them there. Brunch items are offered Friday through Sunday. My personal favorite is the Take and Bake Cookies, available online or in-store. Truly a capstone for any get-together and in just 15 minutes from package to plate, a memory to make. We highly suggest you always have these in your freezer. RusticaBakery.com. Find the food and drink you adore or try something new. Rustica Bakery puts the love shown by their customers back into every item baked. At Rustica, you're among favorites. And we're back. You know, the offline banter is always kind of fun. And we were talking a little bit about Chicago. You have a couple of kids in Chicago. Yes. Yeah. My son and his boyfriend live in uh, Lincoln Park. And then my other son, who's a geologist, lives with a bunch of guys in a house in a place that I can't remember if, like what neighborhood, but it's not too far. It's like Lincoln Parkish too. So now are the kids all foodies? They are in ways. I mean, they all, we all appreciate, you know, really good food and um, some are more than others. Uh, the geologist is definitely a guy who is going to like eat out of the gas station on his way <laughs> to and from the field. He's a vanilla Coke guy, you know, and I'm always like, why are you eating that? It's horrible for you. You're basically rotting your insides out. But that's fine. That's his That's his journey. You know what I mean? But he also makes a mean risotto. He's also the kid who, like, used to work in restaurants. Like, well, they all did. But he cooked. And so he's he's a kid who is definitely knows the good stuff, but he's maybe not in that like, if he has a girl to impress, he's going to make her risotto, right? Mm-hmm. But he's going to eat gas station hot dogs, too. So, 
I love that. Well, yeah. you know, sometimes you just got to have a gas station. Maybe not a gas station. I know. It's <laughs> pretty hard to take. But, you, you know, know, yeah, he's definitely a junk food junkie, but he also knows what good food is. That to me is like, that's an evolution. Like he's on his way. You know what I mean? Like he'll get there. Yeah. Does it get to the point? I mean, I just, is there ever a point where you say, I don't know what the heck to make for dinner? Oh, all the time. Literally all the time. I stare at my fridge and I just kind of go, oh. And that's usually it when I don't have the things, when you don't have the ingredients to do the things that you may want. And I'm sort of inspired by like an ingredient or something to think about. Um, and it's sort of, but it's like the, the situation where like I go to the grocery store and I'll get a bunch of stuff. And I sort of think about what I'm going to be making that week. But then I also sort of, like, if I see some beautiful mushrooms, like the other day I saw these mushrooms from RR Cultivation, which is a local mushroom grower. And I, they were shiitakes that looked just gorgeous. And I was like, I, I don't know what I'll do with them, but I'll, I grabbed them. And then so I put a bunch of different stuff in. And I knew I was roasting a chicken. And I actually roasted a chicken on Sunday night. And um, just to kind of have it be, you know, just so that I would have chicken for the rest of the week. And... And then, but I kept the pan drippings, you know, because I did it with mm. wine and olive oil and garlic and shallots and everything else. And then you just sort of like, you pour off the pan drippings and I stuck them in the fridge. So that the next night I had those mushrooms and I just simmered them Ooh. in the pan drippings. Okay, can I just do curbside takeout at your house? <laughs> <laughs> like, these are the smallest things. Like, like I, right? I, that is, this is an area yeah. that, that would never enter my mind. Yeah. No, me neither. And I'm sitting here thinking how many times have I roasted chicken or done something like that and yeah. gotten rid of, I mean, like, it's the same thing. I know, things. you just kind of throw, I know. And I, I bet it was so delicious. I can like mm -hmm. almost taste it and I, I didn't am. have any. Slow roasted and then you just put them on arugula and spinach and then that's just it. That's your dinner. So the simplest stuff, right? I think that's where Dana and I have come to is a protein and a salad. Yeah. Or something. Really, it does. What does it have? It, it's just mm -hmm. so much easier. Mm -hmm. And But yet that's so tough to do. And you're right. Talk about, okay, five ingredients you need to have in your house at all times. Um, well, for, for sure. I mean, and I'm not even going to, we shouldn't count, count salt and pepper because mm -hmm. you have to we, have yeah. like kosher salt or a good flaky salt and you need fresh ground pepper. That's a given. But I think you need a really good olive oil, like a really good, you know, not to necessarily cook with, but to finish with. For me, like... You don't like, you don't cook, you don't high heat the good, you know, really flavorful olive oil because it doesn't, it just takes it away. But the finishing on top of like your salmon, maybe you're doing salmon in your, in your oven, you know, and then you bring it out and then you hit it with the olive oil, like the good, mm. the good flavorful stuff. So that's a key thing. Um, I always have, and I also have really high fat butter. I also, these are my like, two, like these hope are my butter? two fats. Like hope butter? Yep. Hope creamery. Totally. I love them. Also like some of the plugra, the Danish high fat butters, the Europeans have a great gig with understanding their fat percentages for their butters. And those are because they just, they, again, they finish better. They almost feel like cheese, you know, sometimes. And I feel like they give you more flavor. Like if you're going to put butter on popcorn, it should be a high-fat butter. Like, if you're going to do it, you might as well do it, right? What about ghee? I love ghee. I love ghee. And, in fact, I, I pop my popcorn in ghee. And I often use that as a, as a, um, as a cooking fat, you know, if, if I'm going to cook. Like, if I would have done those mushrooms, if I didn't have that, I probably would have done them in ghee. So that's also a very big, these are all fats, which I'm unfortunately very fond of, but that's the way it goes. <laughs> but I don't, I think that's a misnomer that those are bad. No. Yeah. And I don't you. think I just, like, to me, it's like fat is flavor. And so you, you bring the ones in that are important and I tend to buy, I mean, I tend to not buy, I mean, the fats go on to my vegetables and things like that. So it's like, I'm definitely eating better you know whole foods but i'm just adding that flavor on in, in a natural way and i think to me those are more natural than you know synthetics and stuff like that, like margarines and things like that you don't ever no do i don't okay i know mm -mm. yeah never no and so but it, i grew up yeah totally on margarine sure sure or when people do low fat this or low fat that i i don't tend to buy adjusted items i tend to buy a whole food and then I adjust to it. You know what I mean? Like I would rather use it because this is the thing. If you buy that high fat butter and it has flavor, you're not going to use a ton of it. Like you don't need that much. That's why if you put it on popcorn, you're definitely going to need less of it than if you pour 
than if you melt just a, like a, you know, a regular stick of whatever. Okay, so what okay, else no, is wait, on yep, What else okay. is on that list of five? I can't even remember where I we are. I don't remember where we are. <laughs> no, but no, I, you did. You said, you said butter. Okay. Olive oil. Right. Yep. Um, Salt and pepper is not yeah, counting yeah, them because yeah. everyone should know better. Yeah, and you said ghee, so that counts in the butter <laughs> yep, category. Exactly. Um, and then I think there's things like, uh, for me, um, sesame oil or soy sauce. Like I have, we you know, I often add those kind of elements into things that are not necessarily, you know, I that I wouldn't characterize as like an Asian dish, but if you add a little, you know, sesame oil or you add a little soy sauce in there, you add a little. Um, you know, hoisin or something like that. With those kind of sauces, it just gives you a little like a boost in a way. Like fish sauce, if you put that into pasta, like you put that into a tomato sauce, that gives you a level of umami that you just you can't find anywhere else. All right. Define the word umami. So umami is that they call it the sixth sense, and it's really a flavor. It's really that sort of savoriness that almost makes you. You know, it's like that feeling of like, it's like a tanginess that sort of brings around that sort of mouthfeel, you know, it's sort of a mouthwatering feel. And I just think that that's like, you know, you find that in different things, but fermented fish with fish sauce, which is scary to a lot of people. And when I'm you, allergic to it. So it's really? interesting that you just really? said that Yeah, because I have been at restaurants where I've eaten pasta. I'm yeah. thinking about that and I go home and I don't feel good. Yeah. And I will bet you they added fish sauce to it. Uh, so now possible. I have to ask that question. I only well, most, ask like, it. Well, Italians wouldn't do it. Like if you were in an Italian restaurant, you wouldn't do it. But if it wasn't like a, a restaurant, you know, worth like a chef, you know, trying Right, but they're else. doing some pasta dish because I like pasta. Yeah. They might add it. So now I'm going to have yeah. to ask that. It's so interesting. I had no idea. Yeah. Well, yes, I'm allergic to it. To it. Yeah. That's a bummer. That's, that a is big a bummer. Yeah, because it's got a lot it of It happened as an adult. Oh, no. That terrifies me. I'm always worried that I'm going to become allergic to something. On my honeymoon, <gasps> I got sick. Because I don't eat meat, so I ate all, a, a, fish was yeah. my go-to, not even chicken. And then I went on my honeymoon, and I got really sick. Oh, that is not. That's a bummer. It's been with, I mean, I've been tested. I, I'm not, uh, I don't need an EpiPen, but I get violently ill and then get vertigo. Oh, the worst. The worst. The worst. Mm -hmm. So anyway, okay. that's a side note. Um, the other thing that I would say, this is, sounds so strange, but I can't live without peanut butter. <laughs> okay. And I'm a peanut butter, peanut butter person. What kind? I'm strictly straight up. I just want mashed peanuts and salt. That's it. I don't want any sweetness. I don't want sugar. I don't want Jif. I'm buying old home right now because it's so... It's very good. It's the old super home good. creamy. Yeah. In the refrigerated section. Yeah. I get crunchy just because I like texture. Okay. But I basically eat peanut butter like every once a day, you know, either on apples or on a piece of toast or something. It's just... I don't, I just, it's just because it's good protein and it's kind of, and I salt it. So I put it on a piece of toast and then I crunch salt on top of it. Sometimes I put a little mustard on there. Mustard? Oh, I know. It goes, I got to try, go, try that. I'm a mustard yeah. person. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A little stone ground or like just a little bit of Dijon just kind of on there. I don't know why, but that is like totally my jam. How? On a toast? On yeah. a piece of toast? Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. I got to try that. I, I got to try that too. Yeah. I know. It's a thing. Okay, so how did you come to this? I mean, obviously, attaining, why am I blanking, <laughs> um, being the food editor sure, for sure. Minneapolis-St. Paul Magazine, which is just so cool it's and such an incredible publication. It's a good gig. It's a good gig. <laughs> Lots came before that. Yeah, yeah, I didn't, yeah, I didn't, uh, I didn't go to school for journalism, and I didn't think I was going to be in you know, I, a journalist and I don't, it's hard for me to consider myself a journalist in those ways because I know that I'm, I write differently. You know what I mean? We write opinion and we write lifestyle. And so it's not like the same. It's service journalism more than anything. But, um, I came at it from, you know, I went, like I was saying, I went to Lawrence university in Appleton, Wisconsin, and, um, I graduated liberal arts with an English major, which means everyone says, Oh, you're going to teach. And I said, no. <laughs> and so then I, so I went into advertising, which was what we did in 93, you know, when I graduated and it was like, we, a bunch of us all went into different ad, you know, games. And I was there for a couple years. And I was an, I was not a creative. I was an assistant account executive. 
and I learned some interesting things. And then because, you know, the ad game is like it is, you know, they lost a couple of accounts and I was the last one hired and the smallest (laughs) pee in the pod. So I got the boot and that's when I started bartending again. So I had bartended through college, but I was bartending um, right to like make rent because I was like, well, I got to figure out what I'm going to do. Well, I was bartending at Buca uh, de Beppo in Eden Prairie and um, that's when they started growing. And so I said, so that I kind of jumped on board with them and I became like, eventually what happened is, you know, I ended up by the end of that turn, I was the director of training for Buka and I'd opened 50 stores. So wow. 50 restaurants across the country, which was great. So for those years, I just traveled around the country and I opened restaurants. So I got to like go to Kentucky and open a restaurant there and then also tour the bourbon distilleries, you know, Ooh, yeah. or I'd go to Palo Alto and, you know, we'd run up and down the coast of California and we would go, you know, so I would go in this corporate job of opening restaurants, but I was learning and eating and, and, you know, really doing this really great, we call it shaving on someone else's face, learning to shave on someone else's face. Ah. Right. So it sort of, it was like a little bit of a journey in terms of food and understanding regional food and cuisines and everything else and then and restaurants and then people and then i left there and went out on my own and started doing um when they grew too big and it got too too corporate for me i took off and i uh, started working in restaurant management and i was consulting and helping restaurants build their management structures and educational systems because of training and I was actually opening up the Ocean Air restaurants as well at that time. And then, um, and that's when, you know, and, and then that kind of took me up until, uh, and then I was doing, oh, sorry, freelance writing, you know, here and there. And uh, I was writing for The Rake, which is, I don't know if you guys remember, used to be like a free, like a city pages kind of thing. Um, and then that took me up until 2008. And that's when I started working at MSP Mag. So it was like, they were kind of looking for someone to help run some restaurant database things. And I was, they had just, you know, lost uh, one of their, uh, or I think it was Zimmer and Andrew Zimmer had been writing for them, reviewing for them. And he was leaving because he was doing his TV show. Sure. And I said, if you want to want me, I'll come in and I'll blog and I'll do, I'll fill some content space for you. It was, there was like not, they were not blogging. I mean, it was nuts. It was like the beginning of all of that. And so then that's when I sort of jumped in and I was managing the restaurant database and I was blogging and I was building things. And then eventually, um, our long time, one of our founders, Brian Anderson died of leukemia and he was our, he was our executive editor, editor in chief. And he, you know, so he passed on and then everybody kind of had to shift. And so then I slipped into the editor role. So, wow. I know. So that's how that happened. And it was like 13 years ago now or something like that, right? 2008? Well, that's crazy okay. to me. But also, I think you are a teacher and you have been a teacher all the way along, right? Yeah. So you really did yeah. use your degree to do teaching. Yeah, I know, a in the bit, end. In a that was the weird way. thing. When you're opening restaurants and you're trying to teach adults service and customer service and everything else, it was so different, you know, understanding like how you have to tame the mavericks in the group and the, you know, the human dynamics, which really came a part of that. And that was, I think that was the part that was compelling to me was people, you know, they're always, that's always very compelling to me, even though I deal with food and we always talk about food, it's really also the people behind the food and how food affects people. And so that's that storytelling piece, which then it's the philosophy. Yeah. And it just pulls it all, it all interconnects anyway, but some people see it very coldly and I've never, I've always seen it sort of as this giant web that we're all sort of like dancing on. They need more people like you now because of COVID, because I think a lot of the restaurants, I think, have lost some of that because they're just trying to pay their bills and Mm -hmm. they're surviving. Yeah. It's hard to keep. I was thinking about this the other day. It's hard to keep a growth mindset when you're going through all of this because you're just trying to survive. Yeah. Well, and I actually last night I was sitting in a restaurant with some professionals And uh, we were talking about some stuff and they were telling me that it's basically like you're up, you're down, you're up, you're down. You feel like everything's great. You're going to win. And it's like, you've got, you've got a little bit of money in, you had great sales. And then all of a sudden it's like dead. Like last week with the state fair and you know, people did, restaurants did feel it and they always do feel it, but they haven't felt it in a while. And they're like, oh my God, we're going to lose money this week. And it's not so much now where like, oh, we're going to lose money. We'll make it up. Now it's like we lose money and we're still so very much on the precipice. Like 
it's so delicate. Like there's and most also, of them are just barely making it. Also, now as we're going to get into the colder months here, and COVID is not a gone. Yeah, and I mean people aren't going to be concerned about going inside to eat. And I'm sure that's a big problem for them. Yeah, they're, you know, a lot of them are worried about, um, you know, what exactly the way that people mitigate themselves, right? I mean, and that's like what their reactions are and how they, it's not so much even what the restaurants can do, because they can do everything that they can do to make you feel safe. But it really is about your choices. Are you going to stay at home more? Are you not going to go inside? And those kind of things. And it's harder for them to plan for that because they don't know what your decisions are going to be. Like the mandate, it was easier. They knew what the structure was. They knew what it was. They were like, we can only have this many tables. We can do this. But when it's left up to the general public to make those, you know, mitigation sort of measures, then it's just a harder thing to, to figure out to game. So... They're all a little bit skittish right now. Well, They're a little worried. And it's so interesting. Are, have there been any surprises to you of restaurants that have chosen to fold up and not? I mean, I think there was some definite sadnesses in terms of like Bachelor Farmer was the one that, you know, ended and we were all sort of very sad about that. Very much so. And Birch Steak too. But those were also outside like that was a those were situations that were like i think bachelor farmer they had decided basically that they just couldn't even try to make the metrics work on this and it was going to be devastating to even you know to try and so then they just decided that you know what we need to cut our losses we need to honor what we had and not try to make it into a takeout bachelor farmer takeout would not have been the same and could they ever have come back from it probably not right so that's the thing that they said, we're going to honor what we had and we're going to put this away. And I love the fact that they did that, but I miss it. And then same thing with Birch Steak, you know, that had a lot of other issues in terms of cost, you know, of running that kind of a steak place. And, and, you know, Isaac Becker talked about it, that he was like, you know, it's, it was expensive and it was like, wasn't busy all the time. (laughs) He's like, everyone misses it. And they have this nostalgia memory for what it was, but there was definite downtimes when it was like impossible to get, make the money that they need to make. And with protein and the same thing with barbecue places, it's like, you have to, it's like you need to make 100% of the money back on that to make money because you can't charge so much over because it's already so expensive. So there's a lot of weird metrics that were at play with all of this. It wasn't just we can't have butts in seats. It was sort of like that was like the perfect little flick that toppled everything. It like it just like kicked the stick out from underneath and then everything kind of fell apart. Ultimately, do you feel like things will level out and with positive changes moving ahead. I mean, I'm, I'm poly positive. It drives my family crazy sometimes, but I, I prefer to think that the best is yet to come. <laughs> I do too. I am the same way. I'm same with you. I'm very up with people. You know what I mean? Yeah. I'm like, we can do this, you guys. Like, come on, yeah. you know, get your bootstraps and pull. And I, I think most restaurateurs, I think the beautiful thing is that these people are, I mean, they're in this industry because they don't sit in cubes very well. They don't sit at a desk and they don't, They don't, you know, their structures are not necessarily, you know, in this sort of very streamlined place. They are creatives and they are, they know how to move fast and they know how to react and their sales are different, um, you know, on a snowy Saturday versus, you know, a sunny Monday or, you know what I mean? Like there's, they know how to handle change. Um, And I think many of them have done incredibly, like Travail is my favorite example that they have done. They were this potentially gastronomic, you know, sort of thing. And they turn into a marketplace and they did takeout and they did meal kits and they did all sorts of things that are, um, you know, maybe not what you would expect from them. And they're not only surviving, they're doing really well you know, and they, they made it through and they're a model f- and they're exhausted. Trust me on this. Yeah. Let me just be clear. They are exhausted, but they're going to keep going. And so I think that as long as people want to keep going, then I think that we're okay. Well, and then they also have the whole supply chain issue, which I've heard from many people that I know have restaurants. It's like they can't get chicken wings. No. They can't get like weird things that yeah. to cook some of their... Yeah. Most popular dishes. Right. That's the the labor shortage has hit the, you know, it's basically hit the production spots, you know, like the factories. 
um, you know, and the chicken processors, like, and so then they don't have people showing up, so they can't get the product out, and then they can't get the ship, and then the shipping is having problems. So then the truckers are having shortages, the people at the ports are having shortages, so there's like, you know, our favorite France 44 cheese shop, you know, they're like, poor Benjamin is like, um, yep, yeah, well, we didn't, you know, the cheese came finally after six <laughs> weeks, so we have to eat it now. Like, like that's a, he's been having these sales because he's like, well, all the French cheese showed up today and it, basically it's going to be good for another like week. So you got to come buy it and I'll give it to you for like, you know, 75% off. And so... Oh my gosh, you almost need to start a blog on that. Like he, who's got what, where, when, why, how? I know, that would depress me, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> because because most of the time, it's yeah. the fact is that you basically are, you know, you show up and you're like, oh, there's nothing, the menu is really small today. Right. And you, it's just because they didn't. Right. And there's places that are shutting down on Sundays because they're like, we couldn't get an order in and we don't have the staff to serve it, so we're just not going to be open. I and mean, yeah. I, I went to Turtle Bread. I love their yeah. soups and their quiches. Mm-hmm. And so if I'm have time I'll go and I'll get something I'll sit by myself sit outside and I went the other day they had no quiche yeah I was like I almost had like a two-year-old tantrum (laughs) I'm like you don't what you didn't it was like 10 after 12 like well we couldn't get the crust or something something I don't even remember what they said I was at a restaurant the other day that ran out of mayonnaise they couldn't get mayonnaise Mm -hmm. I think the the takeaway to all of this is Wow. Patience, number yes. one. Patience kindness. for the staff, kindness. I was at um, a salad establishment, one person working, lines out the door. Yeah. And they had their back, what do you call it? The back the line. Back of house. The back of house yeah. was for the takeout orders. So it was just all that there were people back there, but they were overflowing on takeout. Yeah. And so we just. As they learn, I mean, if we want these people to stay in business, we have to have patience. And we have to realize that our extra half hour, if we're going to stand in line and not order ahead, is really worth giving pause and being kind to that person who's working by that line all by themselves. And there's not, you know, like we as consumers, you know, we came out of the lockdown ready to just have our lives back. And it just, it's not possible yet. You know, it's just not possible to have... I mean, if you guys have tried to go out on a Monday night for dinner, it's not easy. Most places are not open on Mondays, you know, right. because they can't staff for all those days. And because they have such a short staff, you know, a smaller staff, they're like, we need a day off. Right. So, you know, the 24-7 culture, which we were loving, you know, it was very consumer demand oriented, is not back yet. And maybe it won't be because I know a lot of chefs are like, I don't know. I mean, like, I like being close by 10 p.m. I may not go back to these 11 and midnight hours. And don't they deserve that? I mean, I think that's the reason why Minnesota has had such a growing food scene is because it's a wonderful place to live for families and all of that. So I think these people deserve to have a life beyond 10 o'clock, you know, really realistically in order to offer us a service and something that we well, can really enjoy. So that they'll enjoy. stay in it. Because yeah. if they don't stay in it, we're just air frying ourselves <laughs> at home. <laughs> That's all we're going to do. And I don't know how much more we can say about that. We're going to switch gears and we're going to talk about your favorite nonprofit to talk about. Oh, wait, Great. Katie, I have one question for her. Oh, you do? Before we do okay, that. Okay, okay, okay. If you were a dog breed, oh, <laughs> what kind of dog would you be? Well, I only have ever had Springer Spaniels growing up, and I kind of feel oh, like that's perfect. sort of it anyway, right? That is definitely right? your personality. Yeah, when you're running and, like, my dogs would, like, run and you'd see their butts bouncing and they run so far ahead. And, like, they get to the golf course and they're like, wait, open territory? And they would tear. And I was like, that's very much my that's very much me. So I think that's it. Oh my gosh. That's, that's, <laughs> that's, that's so perfect. perfect. I don't I know. Know. It might be the best one yet yeah, to describe right? a per, you know, everyone really has great nailed it. Yeah. And that one. No, you nailed brilliant. it. You, you it's definitely, it. that's my favorite. Yeah. Yes. Good. Yeah, you know, you know yourself. Okay. Nonprofit. Oh, so loaves and fishes. Loaves and fishes is my favorite nonprofit right now. 
Um, because you know what they do is they just feed people. There's no questions asked. There are 30 locations around the Twin Cities, uh, churches and community centers, and you just drive up and get, you get a hot meal. And they don't, you don't have to apply. You don't have to qualify. Um, and they want to feed anybody who needs help. Like anybody who basically, um, you know, there's people who have rough times, you know, maybe just once a week they need someone else to cook for them. That's great. They, they You just pull up and they will give you a hot meal in a styrofoam container. They'll offer you, sometimes there's like bread that they'll give you or a little, you know, a box of goodies and things like that. And it's, it's, it's like there's, there's no shame in needing someone to help you with a hot meal and there's parents who show up and they give their kids that you can load up the car you can say i need it for you know for for the my i need four meals for my kids at home they're not going to like interview no you judgment. and make you prove it or judge you they're just going to give you four meals and maybe you know you just want one for the next day so just say i need two meals they don't nobody the point is is that they are here to help feed people who just need a meal and I, I can't get behind them enough. I can't help them enough because I just want them, you know, we drive money to them as much as possible because it all goes to people. It goes straight to people. The volunteers are there to feed people. They capture food from other places. They have people cooking their food for them so that they have these hot meals. And it's just a marvelous organization. I love that. Loavesandfishesmn.org yes. is their website. And they have right on the front talk about their community meals, advocacy, volunteers, how you can give. You know, we haven't talked about this before, but there are so many different ways to give, obviously, money and cash, yeah. time, stocks. Mm -hmm. Everyone's doing so well in the stock market yes. now. Maybe there's ways to do donor-advised funds, mm -hmm. legacy giving, I love the legacy giving. giving. Yeah. yeah, there's you just know. so many things to think about, mm -hmm. I think, as, as we all age and start thinking about those types of things too. Yeah. And I love the thing about with these guys, like, you know, sometimes I know a lot of people think, well, I, someday I'm going to have enough money to give to charity, you know, but these guys, you can show up at, you know, one of the community centers and you can just help cook or you could put food into a container. Like the, that time and that volunteering is as important as the dollars. So I always want to make sure that people know they can do that too. Wonderful. Yeah. I just feel like I could talk to you for hours upon hours and it's I feel like stuff. it's been so long and just thank you so much. Yeah. How do people, if people want to listen to you, get a hold of you, have a question for you, what's the best way to do that? Um, I am easily found. You can email me at stephm at mspmag.com. Those are, it's a great place. A lot of people send me questions like, where should I take my grandmother for falafel? Or, you know, things like, you know, they're like, oh, I've got a foodie coming into town. What are the best restaurants that are going to be open, you know, on a Thursday night or things like that? I mean, we have a lot of resources for that kind of thing. Um, and then, you know, Weekly Dish on My Talk 1071 is broadcast live every Saturday, 9 to 11. Um, and of course, you can find the podcast anywhere you find podcasts, where you find this podcast. Right. You can find Weekly Dish as well. And then I'm just on Instagram as Stephanie March, and I, I do a lot of funny things there. And I love it. It is so, if you are not following <laughs> Stephanie March, follow <laughs> Stephanie March. Because again, just like we're sitting here infectiously smiling, you will find yourself infectiously. It, it is a bright spot in my day anytime I see something you post. I try to make it, I try to lift. You know, that's kind of my goal is to lift because there's enough stuff dragging us down. So, Well, your Instagram and everything you do is nourishment for oh, our good. souls. Oh, that's, so that's the goal. Thank you then for I being win. with us. Thanks, you guys. It really fun. Thank you very much. Yeah. It was really fun. Good. Oh, my gosh. Okay. If you cannot have joy or find joy after listening to this or spending time with Stephanie, there is you, you have to really examine yourself. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think... I agree. She is just like a ball of fire, like not in a bad way. She's just like a burst of energy. You know, there's just it's like a cup of coffee. Just listening to her, like I, I got energy listening to her. Yeah, really, truly, she brought energy. She brought energy to the room, and I think she brings energy to everything she does, which is really delightful. And why I've loved her for so many years, and really feel honored to have gotten to know her just a little tiny bit. So, um, and then our conversation, of course, carried as we were walking, walking her out the door and she's on to the next thing. And that's what I love when you just don't want that conversation to end. I feel like I could have asked her and we could have talked about so much more, including, you know, how she organizes her day and all of that, which we really didn't get into. But I think you can kind of tell how she organizes her day. And I think, 
she just is such a, a role model to me of that positivity. And a mother of four. Yes, which is amazing. And grandma one. Welcome to the grandma club, Stephanie. Yes. Loved having you. Lisa, as we wrap up another one, and really one of one of my most favorites so far. They've all been, they're all favorite. Let's remind people how they can find us, how they can help us, how they can contact us if they have a question. I'm at Lisa at wardrobeconsulting.net. And I'm at Katie at katieharms.com. Eventually I'll have my website, which is katieharms.com, and your new website, which is? My website is wardrobeconsulting.net. Net. Which is just so easy to use, which is you are easy to use. So I think that kind of goes hand in hand. And I, have you gotten your website linked to the podcast yet? I have, Katie. Oh, you're so far ahead of me. I got to figure that out. I did not do that and I didn't have to figure it out. All right. I'm going to have to ask a kid and do that. So we are also at theviewinyourmirror.com. Feel free to reach out. We are on most social media and... Obviously, you found us on, on a any- podcast platform, so we know you're listening, and we thank you. We would love it if you would subscribe, share us in any way possible, possible as we try to build our audience and so more people can enjoy and tap into their best view in their mirror. Until next time. 